0: Hello and welcome to the Cocktail Hour with me, your host, Erin Folk. The Cocktail Hour is a place where we celebrate the women in business who are shaking shit up. This week, we are talking about getting unstuck. How we, ca- how can we as business women stay inspired and creative in our business? And this week's speaker and author, Mackie Masavi, is here to chat with us about it. But first, let's talk. You want to say hi, Mackie? Hey everyone, we're super excited that she is here. She's going to talk all about a book that she has coming out, and I'm trying to get on the list to I, to be the first to read it. So, yeah. first we're going to do we're going to talk a little bit about who is shaking shit up this week. So, the shake is the part of the show where we highlight a few amazing women nationally and locally that are shaking shit up, making great moves in business, and creating a better world with their passion. This week we're going to talk about Whitney Wolf Heard. Have you heard about her, Mackie? I
1: have. Okay.
0: Uh, you've been married for a while though, right? I have. So <laughs> yep. did you happen to meet your husband on a dating app?
1: Um, no, I happened to meet my husband in high school. <laughs> you totally missed the dating app. I totally wow. missed it. I'm so sad. Not at so all. So have you ever seen Tinder or Bumble? I uh, Yes. And okay. I definitely know people who use those. How have you seen them? Have you played with somebody else's? Yeah. Well, actually okay. I have a friend who is building his own dating app. Oh, wow. And so I have learned a lot from him. He might be a good you true podcast. Cast.
0: It's a for it's about women. Right. <laughs> he brings out a strong woman, send him over. Yeah. So um what has he taught you kind of about that? Um
1: industry? So it's a big industry. It is. Yeah. And well so basically what he's shared with me and he's showed me the apps, you know, this is how it works and all of that is just that he feels like the way that those apps do things and their algorithms and the way they decide who to show you and like who's a match for you is all wrong. And so he has decided that he was a student of that and now he's like, well I could build it better because he's an engineer. Okay and so he's he's building the app and creating a different set of algorithms that's kind of like a combination of those apps plus like sites like match and eHarmony and like all of those things.
0: So I have quite a bit of experience (laughs) with dating apps, probably all of them at some point. In fact I met my fiance on a dating app. So I don't know if it's because we're in Kansas City, I'm not sure how much algorithms they necessarily are using at least Bumble and Tinder right now, Mm -hmm. only because it's the same people over and over and over again, right? So I'm not sure if we just have a smaller pool of people using them. Um, I was convinced that just when I went to Chicago and Dallas and stuff like that, there were just better men out there (laughs) when I got (laughs) on the dating app, until I met my fiancé. But... That would be interesting to see how he how he messes with the algorithms on there. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard much about Whitney Wolf and kind of the lawsuit she's going through? And no, I have not heard she... about
1: the lawsuit. No. So
0: there is an article here in Forbes that uh, was sent to me by one of my team members, and so pretty much Match.com. I mean, it's a multi multi billion dollar industry out there for dating apps. Um, love is worth a lot of money, apparently, Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Match.com bought Tinder, so now they own all the rights with Tinder. Whitney Wolf was one of the main people at Tinder at some point, Mm -hmm. so when she um, was, I believe they kind of worked her out, you know, kind of old boys club is what it comes off as. She went ahead and started Bumble, Mm -hmm. which is a lot like Tinder, only the woman has to speak first. So, and you've got, there's some restrictions on there. got to speak within 24 hours. A lot of times what happens on Tinder, what people say happens on Tinder. And from my own experience, what happens is you'll match with people and then it's just constant talking, 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 Mm -hmm. no action. Or um, a lot of Tinder profiles have gotten very fake and there's no way to really get rid of them without unmatching and kind of figuring out. um, that. So she took some of those same elements and applied it kind of for Dating apps on a woman's terms, Mm -hmm. and Bumble is now the fastest growing dating app out there. Wow! Um, So Tinder is, of course, uh, Match.com. Their whole industry is um, suing her for some patent stuff and stuff like that. Right? It's Mm kind of he said she said. Right now, calling they're calling it the Tinder clone and trademark infringement um, and misuse of trade secrets. What are your thoughts? Do you think that see, it's tough because you've never done a dating app, and mm-hmm. I've done a ton of dating apps, so I like to see where this is. yeah Is it a space that at least from your I find it interesting your friend is a man building mm-hmm. the dating app right? Yep. Because I feel like most of these people are the men building the dating apps. However, I feel like the woman's perspective is so important when it mm-hmm. comes to these. So, from your perspective within him, without using him, is your, what are your thoughts on, once again, another male building mm-hmm. a dating app, and um, how women can kind of, you know, she has really made a big difference for women in that space, but she's just, we're talking about her because she's the only one, right? right. So, w- how do you think that we get women more into this space? I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, right? Mm-hmm. And again, here we are like, okay, women, we know what we want. We know how to do it. Usually we're the one calling the shots in the relationships. Anyways, why are we letting the men come up with all the, all the dating apps and algorithms? I find it interesting. Your friend is a man doing it. So
1: what are your thoughts on that? Super loaded question, right? Um, no question around here. I offered you a margarita. No, it's good. You're right. (laughs) I should have taken you up on it, even though it's 9am. Um, (laughs) so I think that My personal perspective, because I came from corporate America, which is also heavily biased towards men and power and decision making and all of that kind of stuff, which does not work for someone like me. Anyone who knows me knows that. Um, But I also think that it's because I think men and women who are building apps like this may have a different end game. And I think that my friend who's a man, his end game is probably more similar to what most women's end game would be from okay. a dating app perspective. So as in, as in like he's been married and he's not interested in hooking up, you know, yeah. and he's not going to make a decision that's purely based on like, oh, you look good to me or, you know, whatever. Um, and so I think it's really hard. I think we all know this. It's the same thing with social media. You don't really know anything from somebody based on looking at their profile for like five seconds, yeah. right? Except for whatever that picture is that they put up, which may or may not really represent Anything yeah. real um, and tells you nothing about who they are, and so I think that you know in an industry that's been driven by men, a lot of it's uh, visual, yeah, right, and I think that's why it doesn't necessarily work as well for women because yeah, yeah it's not that women don't care about appearance, but it's not the only thing that matters, yeah. you I know quick. <laughs> right, and it's not saying that I'm not even saying that it's the only thing that matters for men. it just may be easier for them to make a decision based yeah. on appearance quickly whereas women are like well that's great but i don't like i i, I still don't know anything about you right how is
0: he going to get men interested in <clears> using his app because i think that the reason my personal opinion is the reason that tinder And Bumble have become so popular is because it's easy to sign up for. Mm -hmm. It's a quick thing Mm -hmm. and it's not a lot of work. And I feel like a lot of men are on there, a lot more men than are on other dating apps because it's
1: not a lot of work. Yeah. And I think for him, it's, he has, what he's shared with me is that he's going to have some rules around like how many conversations can you be having at once? And how long do those, do people that have been interested in you stay queued up? Like at some point you have to purge and get people Mm -hmm. out of there. Like either you're taking an action And only talking to X number of people at the same time. So it's kind of, it's almost like it's forcing you to funnel down to your real interest so that you can have an actual interaction with somebody before you make a decision instead of having like multiple conversations and constantly seeing the same people and things like that. Yeah,
0: so I did a, um, it's gonna be interesting to see how that works, I did a podcast, gosh, probably three or four years ago now, on Tinder, on one of the most popular sports radio stations here, and it was very interesting, I was like the woman voice, and then there were three men, right, and one had met his serious girlfriend on Tinder, and then the other two used it pretty much as a hookup site, Mm -hmm. all under 30. I was the only one over 30, and the only woman there, so we have very different perspectives, not one of them, even the one that met his serious girlfriend, not one of them was actually on there for love. Mm-hmm. Which I find interesting because they were on there for I think one of the guys even said I use it like I use Angry Birds. I'm just bored, so I go through it and click through. Wow. Right? Yeah. So It's
1: interesting. <laughs> which sounds terrible, but I feel
0: like that probably is a habit. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're 25, 26, 27. Do you see your friend putting any age restrictions on it? Or do you see that as being something um, that could be a value?
1: That's a great question. I don't think he's putting age restrictions on it, but I think because he's going to make it very clear from the beginning, like, this is how this works, that it will filter those people out, right? Like, if you're not really serious, you're probably not going to use that app because his app's like, you're going to make a connection. That's what this is for. If that's not what you want, go use one of the existing apps because this isn't going to be for you. Yeah, he's kind of trying to, you know, I think it's like he always uses the example of like there's match, which is pretty much anyone can sign up and it's pretty easy. Or there's eHarmony, which is a lot of questions. Right. And so he's like, how do you kind of kind of create some kind of a middle ground in the app world that isn't just anybody can be on there, but also I'm not going to ask you like. 10 bazillion questions before I let you get started sort of thing. I signed up for eHarmony one time. This is a true story. It's very (laughs) embarrassing. I can't believe
0: I'm going to (laughs) tell I attempted to sign up for eHarmony one time. God, this was long time ago. Like eight years ago. And um, I answered the bazillion questions. Like, it was. And I was like, the beginning said, be very honest. That's the only way this works. So I'm already pretty honest. So I was like, I'm going to be brutally honest Mm -hmm. on it. I answered all of them, and at the end, it said, I don't remember the exact terms, it was something way more professional, this, but it pretty much said, we're not even going to take your money. There's no one out there for you. And they would not even let me sign up. Wow. It was devastating. Wow. <laughs> now, that was in Kansas City. This was about eight years ago.
1: That is quite was, the message. Yeah.
0: It was tough. Yeah. It was a very tough one, but it was such a time commitment. That's the only time I've ever done that one. It was such a time commitment. Um. I wonder, and I don't want this to be all about your friend. I just find it very interesting. you That's that's your experience with dating apps. Mm-hmm. Um, Match.com and eHarmony is what you keep saying, right? Because mm-hmm. those are which ones come to your mind. Which comes to my mind are Tinder and Mumble because those are the newest ones. Right. And those were the last ones I used. Match and eHarmony are kind of the older school ones, right? However, I don't think people understand that Match.com owns most of these. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a monopoly. And a big part of why they're suing... Um, this Bumble girl, Wolf, Wolf Heard, is because she won't sell out to Mm Match.com. Where I think when you were talking about Endgame, I feel like maybe a lot of other, you know, Tinder sold right away. Mm -hmm. As soon as they got a great offer, they sold. Um, She's been offered multi, multi millions of dollars Mm -hmm. and she's not selling. So I wonder what what do you think her endgame is?
1: You know, I think... I, I can't definitely can't read her mind. I have no idea. If I were in her position personally, I think that it would just be about, you know, it feels like she was trying to actually create a value that didn't exist and the danger of that just going away if the group that owns all the other ones kind of does it the same way is pretty high. Mm-hmm. And so she's just sticking with like, no, I know this works and it works because of the way that I think it should work. And so why would I give it to someone who's going to potentially change it. Yeah. And also not everyone who creates something wants to sell it. And yeah. so I think that, you know, it's a really interesting point that you bring that up because some people do have brilliant ideas and are really good startup people and they know like, I'm not necessarily interested in operating, but I would like to create this idea and then I'll sell it to someone mm-hmm. and let them operate it. Cause that's not my thing. Do you
0: feel like um, those are more
1: males usually? Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think it's just that we have, such a bias in our culture around, uh, you know, how easy it is to maybe innovate if you're a male versus a female and who will listen to you and who thinks your ideas are actually good. You know, there's probably a bias there. Um, And especially in this particular world, which is very driven by men so far in terms of like, this is how the dating apps work. I don't know how many women are like, yeah, I should get out there and try to solve this problem, you know, because for them, they look at it and go, that's not for me. So I don't, I don't even know how to fix it. Right. Um, But she has something there. And so I think good for her because it feels almost a little bit, um whiny for somebody to be coming after her yeah. for the IP because if you could have created it you would have created it yeah and just because it's
0: obviously you something. did it
1: and you want it and she won't give it to you that's not really a valid reason to go after someone and so it, I almost just wonder if it's like an intimidation tactic and it won't necessarily go anywhere if she just sticks to her guns
0: she's sticking to her guns I I think I'm gonna push back a little bit I think that men are quicker to sell what they create than women. I think it's almost the exact same as um, one of the things I've struggled as a business owner mm-hmm. is being up all night stressed about work taking everything home with me. Where most men, a lot of studies, different studies say they come home and it's just a new world, right? And then they pick that back up at 8 a.m. They're not taking it home with them every night. I kind of feel like women get a lot, from my experience and my friends that have started something and grown something, there's more of an emotional attachment there as well as a woman, so it it is harder to just sell and then be completely hands off right
1: well, so it's a really interesting point you bring up, and I have to say my inherent bias may be that in my work, I work with high achievers, men and women, okay, and so that's why I probably don't put the same like. You may, you might be right from a general perspective, Mm -hmm. but like the people that I work with are high achievers, period, whether they're men or women. And so they're less likely to fall prey to maybe some of the general stereotypes about how Mm -hmm. the different sexes do things. Um, because I have to tell you, uh, you know, the men that I work with absolutely take that shit home with them and they are not Not leaving it behind. They are not detached from their work. And in fact, it's why they're coming to me because it's. (laughs) I'm in this rat race of just doing what success is supposed to look like, but I am not fulfilled by it and I don't know how to stop yeah. just doing what I'm expected to do and what I've programmed myself to do, yeah. right?
0: So you don't see that. So it's just we're it's from just very a very different, different perspective.
1: World. Yeah. yeah it's just, so I think it's I think it's great because it's going to be different. Yeah, you know, depending on where you're coming from and how you're looking at it. It'd
0: be interesting to know if she has a number she's holding
1: out for or if, she, or if it mm-hmm. is because
0: of the <laughs> Maybe I'll try to hit her up on yeah. LinkedIn.
1: <laughs> and maybe, you know, maybe for her, the uh, again, I don't know her. It's just speculation. But, you know, maybe there's some critical mass threshold where it's not emotionally fulfilling for her to continue fighting a battle. And so she may make a different decision. Yeah. Like, you know, for myself and my own sanity, like, what do I need to do right now? Yeah.
0: Well, right now it's working for her because we're talking about her, right? Yeah, right. So regardless of what decision she decides to make with yeah. this. We know her name now, so. All right, so let's get to our special guest. Let's Hello, Mackie. Mm-hmm. Hello. So I'm going to read your very, very awesome resume right here. Not mm-hmm. resume, bio, I guess. Mm-hmm. Resume, bio, it's kind of all becoming the same <laughs> anymore. So, All right, so Mackie's passion is helping high achievers discover what they are tolerating in order to break through to a life defined by their desires rather than socialite or familial construct, constructs of success. God, you're so smart. You're so, I just, (laughs) just so everyone knows, I'm like obsessed with (laughs) Mackie. Too many put up with a life spent surviving rather than thriving. We are here on earth to experience joy. Her life experiences, background in science and counseling, as well as her time spent in corporate America, have uniquely positioned her to coach others around self-awareness and provide a process around making incremental life changes in a guided way. This guidance cuts through overwhelm and limits the wheel spinning that can occur when one realizes that they are living a limited life based on someone else's definition of success. Her mission is to help others rediscover their truth so that they can live a joyous and fulfilled life on their own terms. All right, so here's the deal. I am obsessed with Mackie. (laughs) She is just getting ready to publish her first book, so we wanted to have her on. So she said yes to us to come on here. So we're very excited. So I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so here's the deal. I've got some questions here, and then I think that it's just gonna feed into other stuff. Yeah, so absolutely. um I originally saw you speaking, and it was it was a very funny um at Central Exchange, which is a professional development organization here in Kansas City our team is all members and we do a terrible job of going to anything and so I saw something read through one of the programs and I was like this sounds interesting I don't really know what it's about but let's all go to this one I got everybody signed up and we all went and it was amazing it was you it was amazing I became obsessed we all became obsessed Um, and then I'm one of those people that if I I'm obsessed with somebody. I just like to approach them and tell them I'm obsessed and then try to be their friend and learn as much as I can. So that's kind of where we're where we're at. I'm currently <laughs> working my way into Mackie's life. <laughs> so what really, 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 um, I think was the most awesome part of the first time I saw you speak is we walked in and I was like, I hope I brought my team to the right thing because... This is a podcast, but they're going to have a picture of you, and you guys can see that she looks perfect. Like, she is the person that looks perfect, right? Like, she has children. You would never know it. Like, just because her look. Like, it just doesn't... It looks like she had hours to get ready this morning, right? She's just <laughs> so sweet. not Thank a hair you. out of place. Well, you're welcome. Um, Very kind. Kind of just the whole box, right? The whole box that you assume when you meet somebody that they had a very padded backstory right and you came out looking like you want to assume that you want to assume you turned out perfect because you had the perfect life to get there right Mm -hmm. um so when you were very vulnerable and very open about your backstory i think that that played a huge impact on both myself and my team Mm -hmm. so we kind of wanted to get into some of that and then how that all inspired you to get to where you are today with all of your success so yeah Okay, so first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, a little bit back about your backstory, and then how it got to you got you to where what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, sure. So that was all very kind. Thank you. Um,
0: (laughs) And weird and stalkerish. It's fine. (laughs) No,
1: no, it's not at all. And I think it's really important. The point you're bringing up is super, super important because I think um, people do make a lot of assumptions and I have been subject to that my whole life. Well, you just have it all together. It's easy for you to do these things because you've never known what it's like to not be in this place. It's you not, met
0: your husband in high school. You didn't have to do the dating apps, right? Those types of assumptions. Right, okay. right.
1: Those kinds of things, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, the story is that I, I left my corporate job because I spent several years there, but just being very unhappy. Right. Mm-hmm. I, and it took me a while to figure out why. You know, I had done everything that people think that you should do. Right. I had been, always been a good student. I went to graduate school. I got a sexy degree um in genetic counseling, and then I went to corporate america and i just i did really well. you know, I started, and then I quadrupled my salary by the time I left and had been promoted steadily and all of these things, right? So it was also confusing for me to be in that situation and to be like, Why does this not feel the way that I thought it was going to feel right? Yeah. and that that is such a typical emotional place for a lot of people who are high achievers to be. And I, you know, I'm a student, I like to read, I like to study things. So I I read so much stuff, I consumed so many things to try to figure out like, how do I get out of this headspace? And it took me a long time to figure it out. And what I realized was, you know, you can read these, and there's so many inspiring books, which is exactly why I want to publish books, I feel like it's published books that really helped me go on this. What was your number one? If you had to tell someone, read this book beside your own. Right.
0: What book would you say was Um, the number one made the biggest influence?
1: I think that The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield is an amazing personal development book. And I think that it's overlooked because of the title. Uh, Because I think people assume it's a highly creative bias, but his message is so he first of all, he's so much like me because I am very blunt and honest Mm -hmm. and straightforward and kind at the same time. But he is very like, don't you know, you're doing this. Stop doing that. Here's why you do it. And it was just very concise. And it spoke to me because. First of all, that's the language I speak. Um, but I just love how he brings everything back to this idea that we resist the things in life that are the best for us. And so, um, I really thought that his message was really amazing. And then the other book that I think is so, so good is called the big leap. Okay. Um, and Do you know I, who that's by? it's by, um, I think his name is gay Hendricks. Okay. And I, um, I didn't, I had, I mean, he's a, a great author. I think he's a therapist by background. Um, But the big leap is all about how most of us spend our lives, high achievers, operating from what he calls the zone of excellence, which is basically where um, you're doing what you're good at. And so it's not that hard for you Mm -hmm. at that point when you're in the success mode to just keep doing what you're doing and not to necessarily challenge yourself. But then you will get to this point where you feel like you're stagnating because what you're supposed to do is step into your zone of genius, which is where... Stephen Pressfield would say is where all the resistance comes up, right? Because that's when you become really vulnerable and you're like, this is what I'm here to do. And that's freaking scary because what if people think I suck and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think those two books are so uh, amazing about talking you through the psychology of when it's time to break away and do the thing that you're afraid to do. So anyway, So you're Um, reading
0: a lot. I I read a lot. I haven't read either one of those. Yeah, I read a lot.
1: And if you're not a reader, listen to them on audio. Like, either way, totally, like, if you're stuck in the car. And and I really, I made a practice of, when I was in the car, the only thing I did was listen to something that was going to help me. Like, I stopped listening to music, and I was just like, I'm going to listen to things that inspire me, podcasts, whatever. And so what I came to, to get, long story, (laughs) but to get back to kind of, My backstory is that I realized, you know, as I would pick up books, put them down, I started journaling a lot. I think that's really key to really get into your own head. And that's one of the reasons a lot of people don't do this work, because it's work. Okay, I'm not Mm going to lie to you. It's work. It's deep work. It's sometimes very unflattering, the things that you discover about yourselves. But we all have a shadow side. So, and your shadow side actually, I think, is what makes people makes you fascinating to other people. So it's great to be light and do all the things that that make you positive. But it's like you you said it yourself. It's the backstory of why it wasn't easy that draws people to you. And so for me, I realized that I was such a high achiever because I didn't get the validation that I needed when I was a child. And so my whole life had been driven by achieve in order to get recognized, achieve in order to be validated, right? Mm -hmm. Because my I had a difficult childhood. Um, I'm a first generation American citizen. And so my parents came over here from, you know, uh, from Iran and I was born here. I think my mom was like seven months pregnant when she was on the plane with me. So, um, they came here and it was brand new to her. My dad had actually lived in the United States for a long time and you know, my, they both had huge families and really difficult childhoods. And so, my dad had a very abusive father and my dad ended up being an abusive father. Um, you know, so I had a lot of physical and verbal abuse as I was growing up. Um, I was neglected a lot. So I was left to my own devices. I started coming home by myself when I was four years old, which is like mind blowing to most people. It's mind blowing to me because I have a four year old old and I can't even freaking imagine. Um, you know, and so they started leaving me home when I was an infant. Wow. You know, just saying like, well, she's asleep anyway, so we'll just go out and do whatever, and you know, they would just trust that just it was going to be they okay. Didn't know better. You know, I, I don't know. It's so hard to, for me to even try to begin to imagine.
0: Do you think it was a culture thing?
1: No. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not a cultural thing. Um, I really don't. I think it would it would be shocking for anyone, right? Yeah. Um, and then my mom you lost her father when she was very young and had a lot of siblings. And so my mom kind of got stuck developmentally at a at the age that she lost her father, and I did not realize until I was an adult that she is um textbook definition of narcissistic personality disorder which really complicated my life because it was easy for me to focus on.
0: Moms are tough enough. Much yeah,
1: right. Well, and it was easy for me to focus on like, well, my dad's abusive. So it's such an obvious thing for me mm-hmm. to be aware of versus personality disorder, which can be very subtle and you don't recognize. And some people don't recognize it their whole lives. Yeah. Right. And that's why one of the talks I'm doing coming up, is about toxicity, because that really affects the way that you live your life when somebody close to you is putting you in that position and interacting with you in that way so do you have a daughter I have two okay
0: let me ask you Mm -hmm. I want to stay on track here but I do want to ask you this we have a mostly female office right Mm -hmm. there's only a couple of employees here that I think have great relationships with their mothers right Mm -hmm. however a lot of our employees now have daughters, so we often have this conversation, how do we mm-hmm. not have that same relationship right. with our daughters? Mm-hmm. How do you feel that having your mother, who is mm-hmm. narcissistic, how do you think that that
1: has played into your own parenting? Oh, I mean, I can't even tell you, because it's the one of the only it's always top of mind. Mm -hmm. It's always top of mind. You know, how do I make sure this child knows that I love her? Mm -hmm. And how do I not burden her? Because that's one of the things with personality disorder that's really difficult is that, um, especially narcissism, the parent will often behave as the child and force the child to act as the parent, right? So it's take care of me, or I need you to do this for me, or you know, all these things. And so I am so super aware all the time of, you know, how I interact with her, what we talk about, what, where the boundaries are, where the lines are, um, where I will never want to feel like I'm burdening her with something that she can't handle. Um, I would say the risk that I'm running is to shelter her too much. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's where I try to be very careful to, to still be, you still live in the world and, you know, you have to learn to deal with it. But, we have this open policy of like, you can tell me anything you, I will never not listen to you. I will never shut you down. Um, I started, uh, I have a little whiteboard, um, that we can erase on her sink. And I write her little messages Aww. that are just empowering messages. You know, remember that you're kind and that you're smart and you know, all of these things and how much we love you just so that she kind of walks around with that knowledge and, hopefully doesn't then go seeking that from other people. You know, I want to instill in her, you are good enough. You're amazing. Even when people don't like you or even when they're not nice to you, that's about them. Yeah. You know, and so we're trying to just kind of work those messages in there as she goes up. But I am hyper aware of it in a way that I'm grateful for because I don't ever want, and I think just by virtue of my awareness, it's not even possible. But I want to always be really careful to not, Create, and you know, everyone's on their own journey, so you can do everything right yeah. and then still have a tough relationship with a child, at least over some periods of time. But I want to make sure that I'm not doing anything where I could later look back and go, you screwed that up. Yeah.
0: My aunt, I found it so interesting. I went and visited her on um, spring break, and she had a very rough relationship with her mother, a lot like what sounds like you. Mm -hmm. But then she had a daughter a little bit older. I think she was 39, 40 when she had her daughter. She had had a couple older sons. They have the most amazing relationship. Her daughter's in college Mm -hmm. now, and her mother has since passed away. And we were talking about it in depth, and she said that she finally got to a place where she saw it as a gift that her mother gave her mm-hmm. because she allowed her to be such a great mother mm-hmm. and that if she had to choose, she'd rather be a great mother than have a good mother.
1: Oh, that's amazing. And you know, I think it's such a good point because one of the things I tell people when they're in a really, and the way I've had to learn to think of it as well, um, is to see these people in our lives, especially if it's somebody where it's like a coworker or a boss or a close family member. Um, first of all, boundaries are of the utmost importance. You have to have boundaries because the thing is there is no separation between your personal life and your business life and your friendships and everything else. And what you're putting up with in one place is totally seeping in to every other part of your life. So if you're putting up with bullshit, you're going to get bullshit other places and you may not necessarily recognize it immediately, but it is very easy once you tune in to see like, people try to take advantage of me, of me in business because I tolerate somebody running all over my boundaries in my personal life, yeah. right? It's very connected. Um, and so one of the things that I've learned to do is very similar to what sounds like your aunt has done and what I try to teach people I like is Okay, say aunt. aunt. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. See, I told you you were I'm fancy. fancy. <laughs>
1: um is that if you can when it's really sucking, you know, if you can Put a measure of separation in so that you see these people as teachers instead of as, you know, whatever their relationship is to you so that you can be observant and recognize your trigger. Right. Because the only thing that you can do is control your reaction. Right. Mm -hmm. And so many, so many of us. And I did this, too, before I woke up. We keep interacting and hoping for a different result like we keep having expectations mm-hmm. and so i think if you view that person as a teacher and you only the only thing you do is expect to learn rather than expecting anything that you have wanted from that person it totally changes your perspective and your ability to figure out like why am i putting up with this and where else is it showing up in my life and i think this is especially true for people people who are generally toxic to almost everyone they know yeah. so when i think of like um there was some People in my corporate world, and I think every corporate world that were just so toxic and not popular, but had somehow risen through like the ranks and were way up high, but very negative and not awesome to interact with, right? And everyone feels this way about them. One of the things that I've learned to do, because it used to make me so full of rage because <laughs> I'm so justice oriented, is to go, that is that person's job in this lifetime, is to be a trigger. And so that is how they operate. And I think if you can see people that way and just separate yourself from it, except for what it reveals about yourself, it will totally change your life. It will totally yeah. change your life because there's nothing to read into. You don't need to know why they're like that. Who cares what created that? We all have a choice. You can't walk around with the excuse like, you may have had a hard life. Eh. We all have, right? And so that doesn't mean that you just become that. So if you can just see that this person is, they trigger a lot of people, that's a role they're playing in this lifetime. Take it for what it is. Well, I really think that a lot of us come back and, you know, whatever your beliefs are.
0: (laughs) No, I just find Um, it interesting. Yeah,
1: I think for me it's because I really believe that, that we can choose to have many lives and we come back to learn, like, the next level of what we haven't resolved. Okay. And I, and so the reason I like to view it that way is just because I think it helps frame some of this stuff, you know, like, yeah. why are you like that? Well, yeah, th- there's a person, they serve a purpose, you know, even if you don't believe in that, just to believe that some people really just do serve a purpose for you in this, the life that you're living now, and you can see them as such, then it just makes it easier for you. You if can you learn what come you back to learn as anyone next lifetime. Who would it be? Myself. Just here. I mean, whatever. But without
0: the childhood that you had?
1: No, I wouldn't wish any th- of my experiences You'd away. You
0: like would go through the exact
1: same. I wouldn't. Everything. I would just be open to going through whatever it is I would need to go through to create what I need to create. And I think that. You that's, don't live in
0: California in this next life? No. <laughs> well, in this Somewhere life, I beach. wouldn't.
1: I, I do love the beach. Um, <laughs> I think it's just, you know, wishing away the things in our lives that have made us who we are is a complete waste of time. Yeah. Because
0: for your current life, but I was just asking.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's an adventure. Say, like yeah. what's it going to be next I don't yeah. know. And I won't be aware of it. So <laughs> it doesn't really matter. But... That's true. That's true.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's circle back around to, so you were leaving corporate. Yeah. And well, you were, Trying to figure out
1: because you were in corporate. Yeah. Kind of tell that part of your backstory why you decided to leave. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um. So I, you know, after I started to realize a lot of the things about myself that weren't working anymore, seeking validation, doing the dealing with a bunch of people. I, you know, I really, I there were a lot of people that I really loved in my corporate job that I really enjoyed and really liked, and they were great people, and I once I started doing this work, I started to realize so many people that I really cared about feel just as stuck as I do. And we're like hanging out together and talking about how much it sucks and all that kind of stuff. And as I looked around, it became very clear to me. Um, I didn't see anybody in a role that I wanted. Okay. Um, I didn't see them being personally fulfilled. I didn't see that what came with their jobs was necessarily something that I wanted for myself. I did you
0: know what you wanted or you just knew that wasn't what you wanted?
1: That's great question. No, at that time, all I knew was it was what I didn't want. And I think that's a really key point because whenever I coach with people, that's where we start. You can't go from being unhappy to knowing what you want. You have to get really clear on what you don't want first. Yeah. And that was definitely my process. And so, and I'm a truth teller as you guys can tell. So I don't play the game um, the political game. And I was told many, many times over many years, if I would just soften my edges and if I wouldn't say this, or if I wouldn't do that, or if I would just do this, that things would turn out differently for me. And I could never make myself do it. I just wasn't willing to do it. And so once I really came to this realization that in order to stay here, I must be somebody else's version of what someone in this role is, I knew I was done.
0: I have a quick question on that. Did your race ever play an issue in the corporate world? Did they ever tell you how to handle that?
1: No, it never did. Um, I have to say, honestly, like it never did. And, um, you know, Cerner is a pretty international company. And so I think in the, the, Is that where you spent your whole corporate career? Like my corporate career was spent there before that I was in the clinical world. Um, Yeah. So no, I mean, that never, that was never an issue. It It was, and it was more being a woman. Yeah than anything else. Wow. Um, just because I was too direct. I was too direct. I, you know, there were a ton of guys who behaved exactly the way I did and it was okay for them, but I was too direct. When you're a woman, you're a bitch, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Totally get it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's where I was at and I was, you know, it wasn't good enough for me. And so then I had to figure out, well, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And, um, that's when I decided I was going to leave and coach other people because I started to realize that people were using me in that capacity anyway, when I was still there, you know, <laughs> well uh, yeah, they were coming <laughs> to me and talking about things and asking for advice and, uh, my backgrounds in counseling. And so I thought, well, why don't I leave and become a coach for other people like me? Because a lot of these people just don't know how to get from where they are to where they want to go. Mm-hmm. And in the, self-help world there's a lot of really great literature but a lot of it is um written by creative people or by entrepreneurs or by people who've never necessarily been in the situation that people like me were in and so it may or may not resonate there's some stuff that will will and some stuff that won't and then when you're in corporate america you get fed a steady diet of training yeah. <laughs> in quotes for those who are listening mm-hmm. um that is all geared towards making you more of whatever your industry wants you to be. And yeah. so you take assessments and you learn how to sell and you learn how to manage and you learn how to participate in culture. But, like, all of that leaves the individual
0: yeah.
1: out of the picture. So it's all
0: the same for everybody. It's all the
1: same. Part. And those people who are really successful have already done all of those things. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't move the meter for that. It just keeps them where they are. And they're like, well, that doesn't work and this doesn't work. So there must be something wrong with me. Like yeah. that's the conclusion that most people come to.
0: Yeah. We get fed up. So how yeah. long ago did you leave to coach?
1: Um, I left a little over a year ago. Still, Still pretty new decision? Oh, every day.
0: Was there any freak out moment? Like what did I just do or were you immediately fulfilled? Um,
1: no, I was not immediately fulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> I needed a lot of time to decompress from being in that environment, like more than I would have guessed. It took me several months to come out of that mode, being in hustle mode and meeting with people and almost feeling like ready for battle a lot of the time because of where things had gotten to and not having that, you would have thought would have been amazing. And it was in a lot of ways, but as I share with people and I write about, um, you get programmed by the environment and the way that you operate and you have to reprogram yourself when it's not serving you. And that was definitely a reprogramming period for me.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. I'm going to ask you this question that they wrote for me. You can tell they wrote it for me because (laughs) it's, it's, I, it's very interesting. Okay. So what keeps high achievers stuck in is that they are typically following a formula for success. Emulating others, adopting social, soci- how societal, do you societal, <laughs> see, you're so much fancier, norms of what success means, I'm guessing they got this from you, and yeah. being fed a steady diet in whatever their industry is of being more of whatever is most beneficial to the industry. Mm-hmm. People stagnate because they follow the norms, achieve the tangibles, and realize it doesn't fulfill them, and they question what's wrong with them, instead of seeing that they that they are an individual, and that has not been considered. Mm-hmm. So, how do they change that?
1: It really starts with what are you doing right now that you don't want? You know, it's all about tuning into how do you feel about your life every day? Because the danger that we also come to is that you can be on autopilot. So things can be really, really terrible, but you barely notice it anymore because it's been terrible for so long. And so you have to make a conscious effort to then tune in and go, what am I tolerating every day? You know, and it starts with super simple stuff. Like if you, if your alarm is going off first thing in the morning and you're like, oh shit, the alarm just went off. My shit show of a day is going to begin. Well not then that that's not a good way? way to start your day. But you know, a lot of people start their day like that every day, or they feel like harassed by the morning routine and rushed. And then their commute is not good. And they're stressing about, I got to check my emails and I got to go to this meeting and oh God, this dude's in this meeting and we always end up, you know? And so you, you don't realize until you really do the tuning in work that you can spend 90% of your day in a bad headspace. Yeah. And so you've got to be willing to get super, super clear on that and get really clear on like, what do you not want? Because that is so eye opening in and of itself that it kind of forces you to then, then you start being able to create the opposite of that. So what do I want instead of this? Mm -hmm. And the thing I always tell people is you got to drop the framework because most people get stuck in this, like, well, what else would I do? I don't know how to do anything else. And that is totally jumping the gun. That's the kind of thinking that keeps you right where you are. Cause you've already decided you're in jail and you're staying there. Yeah. Right. And so, um, uh, the key is you got to get super honest with yourself about what you're putting up with that you don't want. And it's gotta be in every aspect of your life because even though it's usually one piece of your life that triggers, I need to change. And for a lot of people, it's their job. Cause you spend so much time there. Uh, that is not the thing that is not the only thing that's going on. Yeah. You know, it's just the thing that is trying to call your attention to the fact that there's a lot of stuff in your life that needs to change. And so it's a holistic process.
0: So what are the, and maybe this is what your book's about. We're going to get into your book. Mm -hmm. What is the number one thing for someone that's listening that you would say, do this today Mm -hmm. as just step one Mm -hmm. to getting in a better headspace?
1: Yeah, I think step one is get yourself a journal. Um, you need to write. And I know that this sounds really annoying because I resisted the whole idea of a journal for years until I finally got serious.
0: Do you think it needs to be handwritten or
1: you can type if you want to? I think the main thing is just when you are in your right brain, which is very analytical and logically based, you will put your thoughts in a hamster wheel and they will just spin and you will try to logic everything, right? You're So that's why you get kind of repetitive. Like the cycle just keeps going. When you write, you engage the other side of your brain. Okay. And so you, even if you're not having like massive realizations in the moment that you're writing, it is actually processing the information in a different way that will then allow you space and you will have realizations over time. Like, oh, okay. I get it now. Like, why am I doing that? Why am I, oh, why do I get triggered by this? You know, and it will just start to come to you. The key is you have to be super non, non-judgmental non with yourself, okay? This is not a place to get into, like, judging. If you realize that you've been playing the victim, be honest about it. Um, if you realize that you are not being the person that you would wish to be in a relationship, you need to be honest about it, right? This is just about I'm not going to judge myself. I'm going to be an observer, and also I'm going to treat myself the way I would treat a friend. So if a friend comes to you and is having all these tough realizations, you would not immediately start telling them how much they suck and, you know, how they need to change and all these things. We you would always be, give our
0: friends better advice. Exactly. Right? we do ourselves. And if you've
1: got to treat yourself like a friend. Okay. Um, really you know, so treat yourself the way you treat a friend who comes to you with this stuff and just start being really observant and, and being observational about what you're doing that's not working. And if you have to just pick one area of your life to start with, cause it can be too overwhelming to be like, well, my relationship isn't good and I'm not happy in my job and my kids, blah, blah, blah. Just pick one thing. And then it will eventually you will be able to go into other areas and you'll realize that it's all kind of the same thing. So
0: is this is what your book's about.
1: Yeah. The book is all about the process that, that I use. So like I said, I believe that there's too much formulaic stuff out there. And this is true even if you're an entrepreneur. Um, I think there's all kinds of ideas out there about if you have time to read a book or if you have downtime, then you are not working hard enough and you're not hustling mm-hmm. hard enough. And
0: it's really hot space, right? Now, it is. Like, it absolutely is. You're in bed is. at 6 a.m. You're not working hard enough. Exactly.
1: And you What's can... What's selling right now. Right. And it's everything is formula mm-hmm. that's selling right now, like the four-hour work weekend. Not that those things are bad if they have tidbits and tips that help you, but the thing that people rush to is to just adopt somebody else's formula for Mm -hmm. success. And my book teaches this skill set that I'm talking about around how to do the self-examination and figure out what changes you need to make so that you can drop the old programming and your outdated coping mechanisms because we're, we're so much like computers we really are. And we don't get system updates. Like we, we just don't, (laughs) I even have my book organized into parts about that. Like basically comparing us to computers because we've been programmed. And if you were doing something at five that served you, like I was doing, um, I never knew that it wasn't serving me now. Right. I just kept doing it. And that's what you've got to go back to the beginning. This is not just about the surface, like outsource this and wake up at six and have it. None of that's going to work if it's not truly aligned with you and you won't know if it's aligned with you until you do this work. So this book is all about teaching you the process and it's like a muscle. These, these things are super hard to do the first time, few times you do them, which is why most people never do them, but you would never run a marathon, not being able to run a mile. And it's the same idea. Like you, you've got to start flexing that muscle. And then the more you do it, the better you get at it and the faster the process becomes because the inevitability is that you will plateau again because that's just the nature of life. You are here to grow and expand. And so you will get yourself out of one thing and you'll do really well. And then you will reach a point where you're like, okay, it's time to reevaluate this again. And so this teaches you how to do that, um, over and over again. And it just becomes a life skill.
0: Okay. And you're taking pre-orders right now.
1: I am taking pre-orders right now. Pre-orders, right? Yes, can I go to pre-orders? Through the month of August. Um, publishizer.com.
0: Okay, we'll put a link up uh, yeah. with it. And
1: then the name of the book is The Discomfort Zone because it's all about getting uncomfortable yeah. and doing the deep work so that you really can get out on the other side of things and live a different life. That's really just about what matters to you. Being able to observe and appreciate the advice that others give but knowing at the end of the day, like no one else's formula is yours. You need to figure out what works for you.
0: So what's your big game plan? So you get the book, Mm -hmm. it gets out, you're coaching. What does the next five years look like for you?
1: Uh, So here's where I'm going to practice what I preach and tell you that I don't know the answer to that question. Um, And I think a huge part of what holds us back is the insistence that we always know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. And when we don't know the outcome, we decide it's not safe. And really it's about trusting that the outcome will be, will put you on the path that you need to be on. And it's a very different place to live from, but I really believe that it has definitely served me over the last year to just, how
0: far out do you do goals then?
1: Um, I set intentions more than I set goals. Um, goals are like short-term things. So for me launching the book campaign and having like how many orders I want to get, that's a goal. Yeah. Um, but which that's is a month out, which is a month. Yeah. Okay. It's a month out. That used to be how I did everything. I have this goal. I'm going to do this and this and this. And then you realize that what you're really trying to do is you think that reaching that goal is going to create some kind of a feeling for you yeah. without ever really thinking about how you want to feel. And so then you get there and then you go, well, that
0: I do feel like if I lost 50 pounds, I would still <laughs> feel very good.
1: Though, right. Right. But, but you gotta <laughs> you agree. No, no. Just I- keep no, I'm I just absolutely joking. think that you're exactly right. I'm just joking. But, but yeah, you're, because you're like, hey, I would feel done. better. Yeah. And that is your goal.
0: But you see it all the time where people lose a ton of weight, right? And then they're still not happy
1: with themselves. Well, because it's not about... It's what's, not about that. It's, it's not about, about outside, the yeah. tangible part, which is kind of where we were talking about that. Yeah, But I set intentions. So okay. it's more like, um, you know, this year, I want to feel energized and inspired and um, like, uh, and connected. So one of my things is that, yeah, I'm going to get out there and network and meet new people and be really open and also, you know, I want to be able to see the opportunities that come to me. And this is where I think being obsessed with an outcome is, doesn't serve you because sometimes there are other opportunities right in your periphery that because you are so focused on what you think the outcome should be, even though this opportunity is actually better for you, you can't see it. Yeah. Right. So it's like being open in that way.
0: Have you ever watched the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith? Yes. Yes. So do you remember when him and his little boy are walking and he says, I want to tell you about the guy that was drowning, the little Mm -hmm. boy, and... uh he was drowning from a boat and somebody came by and said, it's okay. A boat came by to pick him up and he said, it's okay. I pray God will save me. Mm-hmm. So the boat went on and then another boat came by and said, here, jump mm-hmm. in. He said, it's okay. I pray God will save me. And then he drowned and went to heaven and mm-hmm. said, God, why didn't you save me? And God said, well, I sent you two boats, you dummy. Why yeah. didn't you get in them, right? That's what that reminds yes. me of. That is something I really latched onto when I was starting my business that mm-hmm. I was like, you really have to, cause I think people do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm like you in the way that I think that I look at every opportunity. Like, I just don't know <laughs> which way I should be going. So I don't have that that exact mm-hmm. goal right there. But I like to look at the opportunities as this is coming
1: for a reason. Let me see what it is. Absolutely. Being open is huge. And i love that you said that because one of the um, titles of one of my chapters is um, Don't Just Pray, Row the Boat. Oh. Because I saw that. That was actually on my English teacher in ninth grade had had that on her wall. And it always stuck with me because it's exactly that idea that, you know, you can't sit in a corner and meditate your way into what you want. You actually have to take action. Yeah. And so be in your boat and that's cool. Go on a journey, but help it, you know, do the things that you need, you need to do in order to get that support for the opportunities to come your way. Yeah. Wow.
0: Okay. What else, what else do you think our listeners should know? What's your last tidbit of advice?
1: Um, I think what listeners should know is that just know that the most important intention that you can have for your life is to just be who you are. Yeah.
0: And when did you feel like you were a hundred percent just yourself?
1: Oh man. Um, now, now, yeah, I really feel like what I'm doing now is really me. Um, and it's freaking scary, you know, it's like, I've always been somebody who presented and did all the things but I was presenting somebody else's stuff. And yeah. so now it's my stuff. And so you do run the risk of like some people are like, "Well, you suck." Like that that doesn't help me at all. And then other people are like, "That's awesome." Like that totally helps me, right? And just being again open to to knowing that you're not going to be everyone's bestie and your job in this life is not to please others. It's to be yourself and being willing To be yourself and to find the people that resonate with you and not worry about the ones who don't because it doesn't matter. Yeah. There's plenty of the other type is, I think, a really tough thing that a lot of people struggle with throughout their lives. Yeah.
0: That's that's interesting. I'm actually going to start working with Mackie next week, so I'm very excited to learn more about myself. Uh, I will tell you, I was wondering how... um, this stuff about Bumble was going to fit in when I saw you come in and I know you've <laughs> been with your husband forever. But it's very interesting to me because, you know, I did do the, do the, do all of the dating apps for a long time. And, um, you know, I joke around about them or whatever, but here I am 38, still not married, a couple kids. And it wasn't really until I, I just had kind of a wake up call at the end of 2017 and was like, okay, i mean going my friends were like, get back on Tinder. I'm going to get back on Tinder. But I was like, I'm just going to put on there what I want and what I don't want, and I'm not going to waste my time on anyone. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, it was the first time I ever made a complete decision. Like, I would rather be lonely than talk to somebody that's, Mm -hmm. you know, just a floater, per se. But knowing what I didn't want was a huge part of that, right? Mm -hmm. And by 38... That much dating you are you have no idea how lucky you are <laughs> you know what you don't want right and it's funny cuz that's the one time i can be like know that that is exactly what i did very intentionally mm-hmm. and it w- that led to my, you know, now engagement or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's very funny because it all came kind of full circle. I, yeah. didn't know, I didn't know where they were going with this on here. But yeah. I, I like that it all came full circle. Yeah, it so. definitely did. Well, that is, the, that is it for this week for the Cocktail Hour. Do you want to hear from your favorite local businesswoman? Do you know a woman in business who has shaken shit up? Send your recommendations to Girl at cocktailhourpodcast.com. And until next time, I'm Erin Folk. And thank you so much for coming, Mackie. We really for having appreciate me. it. It was fun. Keep your glass and your glass raised and we'll see you at the next cocktail hour.